Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. Well, hey, good morning, Fern Creek. Isn't that a great video? Isn't that great? So, so what you saw was our kids wing opened up for all of our, our, our new kids wing opened up last Sunday and it was a great day that it opened because I think they were one short of their all time record attendance. So plenty of space for our kids to worship and to learn more about Jesus. So again, thanks for your generosity. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Uh, we just started a brand new series last Sunday called The Miners. We are whitewater rafting through the least read, most intimidating. I think with the exception of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, the minor prophets are one of the most intimidating sections of scripture and, and not a lot of people venture through it. And it's sad. And, and, and I wonder, you know, why is it that people don't read the minor prophets? Maybe, maybe what intimidates people are the strange names. Have you ever met an Obadiah? or a Haggai, or an Italian named Malachi. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, maybe that's what's in intimidating to people. That's why they don't read through the minor prophets. Um, maybe the word minor. Maybe people look minor prophets. Why? You know, like the Louisville Bats or a minor league team, they don't hold a candle to the Cincinnati Reds. So why would I read a minor prophet like Amos when maybe I could read a major prophet like Daniel? Maybe that's the reason. Um, let, let, let me remind you, do, do you know why we call them the minor prophets? You know why? It's not that they're less polished or they're, they're, they're not as qualified as the major prophets. The only reason we call them minor is the length of their books are shorter. That's, that's why we call them the minor prophets. The length of their books are just shorter than the majors. Let, let, let me show you what I'm talking about. In Isaiah, you'll read 37,000 words. Book of Jeremiah, a little over 42,000 words. Book of Ezekiel, about 40,000 words. Look at some of the minor prophets. Joel, 2,000 words. Jonah, 1,320 words. Obadiah, just 669 words. So, so again, minor prophets, they're just minor because they're shorter. And don't let the name minor fool you. An espresso is a little cup of joe that'll, that'll fill your tank. A shot of whiskey is a little glass of liquid that'll light your fire. I don't know anything about shots. That's what Josh Cooper told me, so I'll take his, <laughs> I'll take his word for it. So as we, as we navigate through the Minor Prophets, again, our goal is to take one per week. I'm going to take it in 12 weeks through all of the Minor Prophets. So we're going to take one Minor Prophet every week, and today's the second guy, Joel. Minor prophet Joel. We, we, we don't know a lot about him. Uh, we don't know where he's from. We don't know uh, if he's single or married. We don't know how old he is. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't even know what king was prophesied or reigning when, when Joel prophesied. There, not a lot we know about him. We do know a couple of things. The book tells us the name of his father. Uh, that's, that's all we know, the name of his father. And then we also know that Joel is the day prophet. The day prophet. The whole book of Joel is about two days Joel is going to talk about two very specific days that as Bible students, 
we need to have a firm grasp on. So let's open up the book of Joel. I'm going to teach you some things. So it's going to be the sermon today is little little teaching and a little preaching, but I want you to know how this book fits into the story of God and how it fits into your story as well. So let's open it up. Joel chapter 1, look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders. Listen to all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Oh, tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What what, what is this thing? Here it comes. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. So stop. Joel opens his book and he's describing uh, a national disaster that is in fairly recent memory to the people that he's writing to. And it's a disaster. It's a locust swarm that has consumed the, the nation. Now, when you think of a locust plague, don't think about those cicadas, right? They come up every couple of years and rub their wings to keep you up at night. No, no, th- this was a devastating locust plague. And you think, I've never lived through a locust plague. How devastating could they be? Well, I did a little research. Back in June of 1874... The skies over our American prairie turned solid black. Out of nowhere, trillions, I'm talking trillions upon trillions of locusts, the size of your pinky, swept through the Great Plains. Man, they went through Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, and they marched down to Texas. They say, in that locust plague, if you could have gathered all the locusts together and weighed them, the collective weight of that locust swarm was 27 million tons of locusts. They ate everything. They ate wheat, tobacco, corn, potatoes. They ate wool off of sheep. They ate paint off of wagons. They ate 15 acres of corn, stalk and all, in under three hours. One thing they didn't eat, you ready for this? Peas. <laughs> Even locusts hate peas, right? Uh, the economic uh, damage that was done to our country was staggering. And nothing, nothing they could do could stop these bugs. So in chapter one, Joel is talking about this devastating plague of locusts and listen to how he describes it. He says, the drunks weep because there's no more wine. Now stop. You know it's bad when the drunks are out of booze and they're they're, they're boohooing it up because there's no more booze, right? Uh, Vines are laid waste, trees are stripped bare. The priests weep because there's no grain for drink offerings. The fields are ruined. Grain's destroyed, the olive crop fails, wheat and barley's been destroyed, all the fruit trees are gone. The livestock groan and suffer. So so here's the key to the book. Joel asked this question, has any, have you ever seen anything like, have you ever even heard of anything like this? Now, Bible students, stop. This is the key. This is the key to unlocking the book. So, So don't answer out loud. Quickly, let me let you think about it. Had anything like that ever happened to the people of God before? 
Yes, it had. Yes, it has anything. Yes. Do, do, do you remember when the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians and God raises up Moses to go to Pharaoh and God through Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way, Yahweh, I'm not letting your people go. And so you remember what God does. He sends 10 judgments, 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. The eighth plague was the plague of locusts. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Egypt never before, never since had been swarmed by such a consuming plague of locusts. So the locusts were judgments. The 10 plagues were judgments, but the locusts were a judgment of God. Now, you, now, what's really cool, you remember the people of God live in a suburb of Egypt called Goshen. And in Goshen, they never got hit by any of those 10 plagues. So when the locust consumed everything that the Egyptians had, it never touched Goshen. So the, Egypt, so, so the Israelites watch the judgment of God. They are on the receiving end. They watch the judgment of God. But here, here in Joel, they're not spared. So there's no question that Joel is saying, well, look at this thing. I can just, just look at, this is a judgment of God. He is punishing us. He is he is disciplining us for our rebellion, for us chasing after other gods. And if people were a little confused, they also had Deuteronomy 28. So they know from their history, this is a judgment from God. But they also had Deuteronomy 28. After God led the people out of Egypt into the desert, he says to them in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you will be my people, if you will serve me, if, if, if you will put me in my right place, if you will refuse to worship other gods, I will bless and, and make you prosperous. But if you lift your hand to another, if you forsake me, if you go off and run after other gods, I will discipline you. And one of the disciplines is in Deuteronomy 28. Listen to it. God says, if you abandon me, he says this, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. So again, the people know that. So as Joel points to this locust swarm, they know from their history, they know from Deuteronomy 28, again, God is disciplining us. This is the hand of judgment from God himself. This is no freakish, random, natural thing. God is disciplining us. And again, lest you not come to that realization a little later on in the book of Joel to make sure nobody misses it. Look what God says, uh, Joel 2.25, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that who sent? That God sent, that I sent among you. So again, God is behind this locust plague. This plague is from his hand to discipline his people. So the question becomes, well, okay, okay, why would God do that? Like, why in the world would, would God, a loving God, send such a cataclysmic event upon his own people? Well, there's only one reason, to get their attention. Well, listen, when we sin and we live in sin and we constantly rebel against God, that breaks his heart. That breaks fellowship between, when we sin, it breaks fellowship between us and God. And and God loves us. God doesn't want to see that relationship fractured and broken. And so God, in his great love, he will try to woo us back. Come back to me. Come back to me. Stop your sin. Stop, stop pursuing these other things. Put me, come back. And when wooing us doesn't work, God will up the energy. God will discipline us. Now, what are the tools that God uses to discipline us? Well, there are many. 
Sometimes, like a surgeon, God will take a scalpel and maybe God will try to cut away the hardness of our hearts. So sometimes God will send scalpel. He'll, he'll use the scalpel on us to try to cut away some of that rebellion. And if the scalpel doesn't work, you know what he'll use? The sledgehammer. Has God ever had to break out the sledgehammer on you? Like, has God ever allowed things or sent things? Like, have you ever self-reflected and gone, oh, man, Shazam, like, God, you're using this. You, you, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you ever find yourself miserable, looking at your life and thinking the locusts of life are devouring everything I have. Why is this happening? Perhaps, I, I'm not saying it is, but perhaps a question to ask is, God, are you, are you disciplining me? Are you trying, because, because I'm, I'm far away from you. Are, you. are you trying to call me back to you by using this locust swarm or this whisper? Sometimes God will whisper, sometimes he'll shout. Sometimes he'll use a sermon or a, or a life event. Sometimes he'll just send the locust, right? But however God disciplines us, because look, you have children, you know there have been times when you've had to discipline them, right? Sometimes God disciplines us, but whenever he does it, scalpel, <laughs> sledgehammer, it's always done in the purest of love, right? So, so Joel uses this locust plague to talk about the judgment and the discipline of God. And then he introduces us to the, to the first of two days. I told you Joel was the day prophet. Here's the first of two days that the book of Joel is all about. Look at Joel chapter one, look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near. It's going to come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from Joel is not the first or the only of the prophets to name this special day, this day of the Lord. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they all talk about this day, this coming day of the Lord. So Joel's not unique, but, but here's where he is unique. Out of all the prophets, Major and minor, out of Peter and Paul, all the apostles, um, Joel is the one who uses the day of the Lord the most. That, that's his claim to fame. He talks about the day of the Lord the most. 17 times in the Old Testament, you see the phrase day of the Lord. Joel will use five of them. Five of the 17 belong to Joel. So the question is, okay, he's talking about this day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? Well, let me let me read a couple of verses to you and see if you can figure out what the day of the Lord is. A little later on in the book of Joel, Joel 2.31, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So boy, that, wow. Moon is turned to blood and sun turned to darkness. All right, look what Isaiah says about the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13, see the day of the Lord is coming. It's going to be a cruel day with wrath, fierce anger to make the land desolate, destroy the sinners within it. The stars of the heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wickedness for their sins. 
Wow. That's the day of the Lord. Let's go to the New Testament because we see the day of the Lord in the New Testament. How about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So are you tracking with me? Joel's not the only one. He's the one who uses it the most. But the day of the Lord is when Jesus returns to abolish and vanquish evil, to execute the holy judgment of God upon a world who's rebelled. See, right now, right now, you and I are living in what we would call the day of man. This is the day of man. You, you and I do what we want, when we want, how we want. It's our day. And in the day of man, there have been these rare moments when God has opened the door that stands between the two kingdoms and he slid from his world into our world and he has on very infrequent, rare basis intervened into the day of man. He's suspended the, the, the laws of nature and he's done some miraculous, incredible things. He split the Red Sea. He sent the plagues on Egypt. He sent a flood you know, upon the world. There have been these rare moments when he slipped into our world, into our day, and he's manipulated things, right? But the Bible tells us there's coming a day when he doesn't slip through the door. He blows it off of its hinges. And the day of man yields to the day of of the Lord, a day when he takes control, a day when he sets the record straight, a day when he makes all things broken whole again. Friends, listen, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes, here's what's gonna happen. Let me just give you the timeline. When Jesus returns, the next time he comes, the second coming of Christ, here's what's gonna happen. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So, so, so the dead will rise. If you, so if you and I are dead, when he comes back, we will, be, we will be reunited with him, right? If you're living, if you're alive on this planet, when he comes back, not only will the dead in Christ rise first, we who are alive will be caught up in the air with him. This is called the rapture, okay? So Jesus returns, all God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Jesus is my savior people, they will be caught up with him. They'll be taken off of this planet, right? And that's what triggers the day of the Lord. See, after we're all caught up to meet him, the day of the Lord begins. Now, don't think about the day of the Lord being a literal 24-hour day. No, it's a season. It's a length of time, right? And if you want to know what happens, really, really what happens is to the people who are left behind. Those of us who love him are, are caught up to be with him. So that just leaves people on the planet who are opposed to him who have rebelled against him, who have not yielded their life to him. What happens during this great day of the Lord to those people who are left behind? We'll read the book of Revelation. Revelation will walk you through what will take place to those who are left behind. The book of Revelation culminates with the last battle, the battle of Armageddon, where all the kingdoms of man who rebel against God will gather to fight him. And in that battle of Armageddon, he will thwart the devil and, 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 and the kingdoms of man, and he will send them to hell, and he will, he will bring about the kingdom of heaven, this, this new kingdom where we'll live with him forever. So, so Joel talks about this coming day of the Lord. He's the day prophet. But there's another day. This is the one that a lot of people don't, don't know about. Joel predicts the, the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. There's another day, though, that he talks about that blows my mind. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. 
He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is before the great day of the Lord. So he talks about this day when the day of the Lord will trump the day of man. But he says before that, there's this day coming where the spirit of God will be poured out upon people in a way it never has been. Do you know what day he's talking about? Pentecost. If these verses of Joel chapter 2 sound vaguely familiar, it's because you've read them in the New Testament. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, let me remind what the day of Pentecost was. Do you remember Jesus dies on the cross? He rises from the dead. He spends some time with his disciples and he kind of explains how all the dots are connected. And, and then he tells them before he leaves, before he ascends back into heaven. Do you remember what he tells them? He says, I need you to wait in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and just hang out and wait because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you in a way it never has. And, and the Holy Spirit will do something in you and to you to equip you for the mission. But you can't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. So go to Jerusalem and stay and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing about the Holy Spirit that you need to understand. You and I live in a day where the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. That's, that's not the case for a vast majority of the history of God's people. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the book, uh, the Old Testament, I mean, go back from Genesis to Malachi, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in the hearts of individual people. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit doesn't live in people Holy Spirit will come upon certain people. Samson, the Spirit of God comes upon him, empowers him. Samson does this mighty thing, and then the Holy Spirit leaves. So all throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit just comes upon people, doesn't live in them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to live inside people. That only happens in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles in a way, the tongues of fire fall upon them, the Spirit comes and indwells them. And the Holy Spirit falls on the 12 in a way that has never happened before, in such a way that they begin to speak in other languages. You remember that in Acts. They begin to speak in other languages. And, and when, they were, when they were doing that, there, there was a religious festival going on that Jews from all over the world had come to Jerusalem to worship. So when the apostles are speaking these real foreign languages, there are people from all other you know, languages who have come. They're like, I'm hearing somebody speak my language. And all these thousands of people are drawn to the apostles. And they're like, how is it I'm hearing these men who don't know my language speak my language and they're telling me about this guy Jesus and they assume that they're all drunk. <laughs> they're all, they've, they've had a, a few too many mimosas in the morning, right? And do you remember what Peter said? Look at Acts chapter two. I'm tying it all together. Here it comes. What Peter says in Acts chapter two, verse 16. He says, no, we've not had too many mimosas. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes 
Some of the passages we just read. In those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great coming glorious. Here it is again. Day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, as he's preaching in front of thousands of Jewish people, he says, this is, this is the day Joel talked about 700 years ago. He said this day was coming when the Spirit of God would be poured out on people in a way it never had been. When the Spirit doesn't work on you, he comes to live inside you. This is the day, the day of Pentecost is the day that Joel talked about. And then you remember what he does. He launches into this sermon on Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the son of God. But you killed him. You crucified him. But God raised him from the dead. And he just preaches his heart out. At the end of the sermon, you remember what happened? The people are cut to the heart. And they said, if Joel talked about this day, and, and we, we are seeing this miraculous thing of our own languages being spoken by men who can't speak them. And the spirit of God is falling in a fresh way. Yes, we did kill Jesus, but he did rise from the dead. And they give their life. 3,000 people came to the Lord that what a day. So Joel is the day prophet because he speaks about the great day of the Lord. But he also spoke about this day of Pentecost when the spirit of God would fall in a fresh. What a day. What a day. I, I, I don't. I don't think I need to convince you that the people of Joel's day thought that the world was coming to an end with this locust swarm. I, maybe you, you're like me. You look around at our world today and you go, man, it is, how can it get any worse? Like, like things are so upside down. Things are so broken. And, and this is not political. This is not political. But friends, listen. When we live in a world that says biological men can not only swim against women, box women, lift weights against women, not only can they do that, and not only does it have to be, you know, uh, put up with, it has to be celebrated. Like there's something wrong with that. When bus drivers and school teachers are physically assaulted by their students and nothing's done about that, there's something wrong with that. When Hamas, when Hamas climbs across a border and viciously attacks and rapes and murders and does savage things, not to military people, but to civilians, and that is celebrated in America with parades, that is elevated and rejoiced over by people who get something's wrong with that. And I'm just here today to remind you, like Joel reminded his people, it's dark, and it's gonna get darker, but don't fear. Because the great day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. It's a day not to be feared by the believer. 
It's a day to be longed for. It's a day. Look, look, can you imagine a day when, when evil is truly punished? A, a, a day when wickedness is wiped out of our vocabulary. A, a day when he rules and he reigns and there's no more sin and sadness and, and the effects of sin. What, what a, for, for the believer, the great day of the Lord is something to be looked forward to. You know, Joel said it first. Peter repeated it second. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They both said it. And friend, that, that same message is still true today. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Friend, if the day of the Lord worries you, the coming judgment of God worries you, man, you're not saved. Or, or if you're saved, you have a poor theology, right? But, but truly, truly, like if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, you should be worried. That should terrorize you. But, but the good news is before the great day of the Lord comes, you got this day of personal Pentecost that can come. You've got this day where if you will just open your heart and bow your knee and, and say, you know, I have said things, thought things, done things that a holy God would find detestable. Yes, I am a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus is the savior. I will bow my knee. I will yield my heart. I will give my life to him. Man, the, if, if you will, like the people at Acts 2, if you'll just do that, salvation will be yours. You will call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Not just from the great coming, you know, day of the Lord, but you'll have your own personal day of Pentecost where your sins will be wiped clean. The Holy Spirit will no longer work on you, but he will come and live inside you. He will seal you and mark you and guide you and restore you and lead you and illuminate you. Man, what a, what a blessing. If all Joel talked about was the great day of the Lord, as Christians, we would still be excited about that, but that'd be a lot of fear. He says, no, no, no. Before the great day of the Lord, there's this day where God will pour out his spirit on people in ways it's never had. And friend, you, you are one decision away from that day yourself. You have no control over the great day of the Lord. When he's gonna come, how he's gonna come, where he's gonna come, how, what, you have no control over that, but it's coming, so take heart, be encouraged. You have full control over that second day, the day of Pentecost, the day where the Spirit can fall upon you in fresh ways. So friends, Joel is the day prophet. That's how it fits into the story of the Old Testament, and that's how it fits into our story. The day of the Lord is coming. Fear not. Fear not. And the day of Pentecost either has come in your life or will come in your life, and the Spirit will mark you and guide you and keep you. Thank God. For Joel the Day Prophet. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. 
If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.